Thank you so much. And uh, as Jem said, I'm Duncan. I lead Revelation Church. A real pleasure to be with you this morning and to be celebrating. We've got Jess back um, for after the baptism, and I guess the others will be coming in as well. What a celebration so far. Um, I don't remember um, before being anxious, or certainly not praying anxiously on my drive to the supermarket, but there I was last April doing just that. As I, and then as I went into Tesco, the scene that I had dreaded lay before me. Let me tell you, you have never experienced dread or terror until you have been the parent of two young children, both who need nappies, and the nappy aisle is completely empty. And I thought, what on earth are the next steps here? I am walking into totally uncharted territory as a parent. But of course, it wasn't just nappies, was it? This was the great supermarket shortage of 2020. Whether it was for you pasta, whether it was flour, whether it was toilet paper, there was a massive shortage going on. And of course, that wasn't just 18 months ago, and then it quickly got resolved. But shortage is something that we're continually seeing in the news. The, the petrol crisis and the shortages, the massive queues at petrol stations, which as an electric car journey, uh, uh, driver, I was very smug about. The gas shortage in Europe, particularly in the UK, probably heating prices about to jump up. And uh, it seems like every other day you read about a major supermarkets coming out in the news and saying, uh, it's looking like there's going to be a shortage of stuff over Christmas. Because, of course, nothing sells newspapers or gets clicks quite like Christmas might be ruined and trying to scare people into that. But, of course, this is the emotional climate that we now find ourselves in, isn't it? The, uh, one of fear and anxiety and worry of... Is there going to be enough? Am I going to have enough? And um, maybe I will have enough, but what about my friends, my family, my loved one? It seems like maybe there's not enough to go around. And for many of us, these are brand new questions that we have never had to, uh, to face before. The nappy aisle has never been empty before. <laughs> but today, I want to look at and see how the Bible says that shortage does not have to be the story that we live in. For the next 20 minutes or so, I want to look at a story in Jesus' life where he encountered shortage. But he used this opportunity in a celebration context, not quite the same as today. Uh, there was water involved, but at a wedding, he used a shortage to show that actually with him, he can provide and not just provide, but provide so abundantly that when we are with him, and if we accept his invitation to be with him, we never have to know lack, we never have to know shortage, and we can always know his abundance in our life. And then at the end, I want to make an opportunity to, for you to respond to this and say yes, I want to say yes to Jesus' invitation to abundant life. So that's where we're headed over the next 20 minutes. So we're going to read from John chapter 2, as Jem said. So uh, the words are going to appear on the, the screens behind me, and we'll read from chapter one, uh, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the, me, uh, the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? 
My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of the water out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is a disaster at a wedding. I mean, this, is, this nearly ranks up as highly as something like the bride not showing up, or in mine and Hannah's case at our wedding, the, my mother getting run over by a taxi. Um, that's a story for another day. She was absolutely fine. She still is absolutely fine. Won't go into the details there. But high on the list of disasters that can happen at a wedding, you run out of wine. I mean, it's a problem if it happens today in our culture, but in this culture, it was serious business. There was reports, there are reports of lawsuits being filed if the hosts ran out of wine. That is how seriously they took it. And Jesus becomes aware of it through this interaction with his mother in verse 3. Mary, um, his, his mother, comes up to him and says, there's no wine. And Jesus' response then is maybe not quite what we would expect. He says, verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, before you take this as biblical permission to be rude to your mother, this isn't quite how it appears to our ears. It sounds pretty, pretty rude to our ears that you would call your own mother woman um, but there is translation issues for us in terms of what is it, how would this actually have sounded in the day. And it's not, Jesus isn't being rude, but he is being abrupt in his speech. This, it would not have been the normal way that Jesus spoke to Mary. It would have got her attention when, Je- when Jesus said this to her. But Jesus is speaking in such a way to get her attention, to invite her to look again at him. As we, as the reader, go through the the Gospel of John and this story begins to unfold, we see in the context of all that's going on, this is right at the beginning of Jesus's, what we call ministry, his time of doing miracles and healing and his teaching time on earth. And here, at this point, none of that has happened yet. It is just beginning and right here, it is all getting started. But Mary doesn't know that. She has no idea that is what's going on. She's just at a wedding. She's just having a good time. She's enjoying the occasion. And then this this comes up and there's a bit of a problem. There's, There's no wine. And so she just comes to Jesus, her son, her adult son, and says, look, we've got this problem on. Need a bit of help. Probably in the same way that she has come to him many, many times before, just asking as a grown up, helpful adult, could you lend me a hand here? She's coming as a mother comes to a son. 
But because this whole new thing is going on and Jesus is about to start his ministry, the fact that she's coming as mother to son is exactly the problem. See, the only way that Mary has seen Jesus so far is, this is my, my son, this is my baby, this is my boy. But now as Jesus is about to show who he really is, he wants to get her attention. He's saying, look again at me with new eyes. Jesus is actually sensing that her previous familiarity with him might actually be the very thing that stops her seeing him as he really is. And I think that can be so easy for us to fall into as well. Maybe you grew up and every single Sunday you were just dragged to church and you have literally heard it all before. You know Jesus lived an impressive life. You know that he died on a cross. You know he was buried in a tomb. You know three days later he rose again, but you've heard it so many times. It has just been robbed of any meaning or significance for you. Or maybe you sung the songs in assembly at school and you loved hearing the stories, which I think Terry was talking about for her own, her own journey. Just loved hearing it all. And you think, actually, I love hearing about Jesus. He seems like such an impressive, interesting, just a really good guy. But for you, that's kind of as far as it's ever gone. Or maybe for you, it's, it's a lot more vague. You, kind of, you know the details, the, the, the outline of Jesus' life. You know that there was a manger, there was some miracles, there's something to do with a cross. But for you, you've, you don't need to know anymore. You know, no, you know what you need to know, why find out more? Well, like Mary, it could be that our previous familiarity with Jesus is actually the very thing that stops us from seeing him as he really is. And that maybe this morning he's just inviting you to look at him afresh again with new eyes. That's just what we heard from Velma when she was sharing her testimony, wasn't it? That she, she grew up knowing God, kind of. She was familiar with him, but had never really actually seen her, seen him. But then she went through this moment of darkness that she was sharing about. And then in that moment, she started to really look, started to really see who is this God? Who is this Jesus? And with fresh eyes, she started to trust, to believe. And suddenly she saw him as he is, and her whole life began to change. It's exactly what Velma did, and so exactly what Mary does here. She, in verse 5, she puts her faith in Jesus. She starts to hand the whole situation over to him. So it just says to the servants, look, just whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And she gets then a front row seat to see Jesus demonstrate exactly who he is. Jesus instructs the servants to then fill these six jars of water. And some of the detail in which uh, John uses here is he wants us to see just how much water there is. Each jar holds 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now, that's 100 liters to you and me. And he fills them up, as you might see there, to the brim. He's wanting us to see these huge jars are each filled with water. 600 liters of water. That is a ridiculous amount of water if you are fam not familiar with big quantities. And then Jesus says, how frustrating would this be? Right? They just filled them up to the brim. Right, now start drawing some out. Start taking some of the water out. 
and take it to the master of the feast. And the servants must be thinking, what on earth is this man asking us to do? What is he up to? And the master of the feast, essentially his job was to know what good wine tastes like. Good job if you can get it. Pretty straightforward role. What does good wine taste like? And he drinks. And what was clearly water, 600 liters of the stuff, suddenly has become wine. Not just any wine, the finest wine. The master of the feast says as much in verse 10. He he says, you have kept the good wine till now. Another translation says, you have saved the best till now. The choicest vintage, the best stuff is now available. This was a situation that was heading for the host towards embarrassment or worse, social shame. And for everybody at the party, it was just going to be an incredibly disappointing occasion. But then Jesus enters the room and he just turns the whole thing on its head. The finest vintage is now flowing. And in just one moment, the anxiety gone. The worry, the sadness lifted because Jesus is in the building. And whatever your opinion of Jesus, I think everybody in this room today would have enjoyed this wedding. Here is a party, here is an occasion that is just petering out and becoming one of those dead parties, just a bit awkward. And then the atmosphere must have just been electric as Jesus was like, nope, this thing ain't over. Here's 600 liters of the finest vintage now flowing. There would have been joy, celebration, good times rolling because 600 liters of wine has just turned up towards the end of the party. 600 liters. I know I keep saying it. But, I mean, I love a good glass of Rioja or Shiraz to celebrate, particularly at a wedding. Charge my glass. I'm here for it. But 600, by anybody's standards, this is too much wine. I don't care how much you like it. Too much. It's lavish. It's ridiculous. It's over-the-top amounts of wine. It's Jesus, what on earth are you thinking amounts of wine? This is no mistake. This is a statement from Jesus. This is a moment where right at the beginning of his ministry, he is not massively over-catering a wedding in an awkward way. He is sending a big, bold, extravagant message. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I am all about. That's exactly what John wants us to see in verse 11. When he's summarizing the, the, the account, he says this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. It's a, this was a sign. What is, not just an exciting miracle, John is saying. He's saying this is a sign. What does a sign do? It points beyond itself to something bigger, something better. The highlight of your holiday is not the signpost that says beach on it, unless you are really into signposts. Or maybe you just need to find some better beaches. 
get yourself to Blackpool. That's my recommendation. This extravagant miracle, this moment where he turns water into wine, he's saying this is just, 600 liters of it, is just a taste, a glimpse of what is to come. And notice that Jesus says this is, or or John summarizing says, this is the first sign that Jesus did. He's saying, look, if it, this is the first thing I want you to know about me. If you only know one thing about me, if you only get hold of one thing, if you close this book, you don't know anything else about Jesus, you don't know anything about his ministry and why he came. He said, I want you to know this about me, that I have come to bring overwhelming, abundant, more than you could ever need provision into your life so that it overflows and overflows and overflows. That's my mission, Jesus is saying right here. That is why I'm here, that you might experience and encounter this. You know, it's no mistake that Jesus provided wine here. In Jewish thought, wine in and of itself, just one single little glass, was an image of the best that God could provide. Abundance and blessing and goodness was signified by just a little bit of wine. And so in providing 600 liters of the very best wine, what Jesus is saying here, or what the picture he's painting is one of just overwhelming abundance upon abundance upon abundance that Jesus is wanting to show here. Look how rich and abundant the life that I have come to offer you can be. Later in chapter 10, he just outright came out and said it and said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it richly, have the best that life can offer. And you might say at this point, but Duncan, I know Christians. I have seen Christians. I have looked at their lives. Where is the abundance Where are all of these riches that you are speaking of? They don't look like they have received overwhelming provision. Well, the Christians you might know may not have the best jobs or the most wealthy or the the highest status or the biggest success. They may not have seem to have that much going on in their life at all. But I think from some of the testimonies that these guys shared, if you look a little bit deeper, you might actually see that they are some of the richest people that you could come across. Like how Jess was talking about how richly rewarding her life is as she obediently gives everything to following Jesus and how much she's finding out about life as she does that. Or as uh, Tiri was saying about how when she has made God the center in her life, she has known safety and security. And what Velma was saying about experiencing deep peace and the love of God that is too deep to comprehend. Aren't those some of the riches that we really want? Life that is purposeful, satisfying, safe, secure, where we know peace in our soul, and we just know, we just know I'm loved as I am. This is the rich and abundant life that Jesus came to pour out for his people. 
And what Jesus is demonstrating by 600 liters pouring out is that this good life, this abundant life, really will never come to an end. And he means never. For if we follow this sign to the very final destination that it is pointing towards, Jesus is saying, I really am, really am going to bring in a time where the wine will never stop flowing and the joy will never cease. Because do you know the image that the Bible uses perhaps most commonly to speak of the life that comes after this one? Of eternal life with Jesus. It uses a picture of a wedding. A lavish occasion, over-the-top provision, a feasting table that is always full with wine that is ever-flowing, joy that will never stop, and pain and sadness that is just a distant memory. That is the picture it uses. Jesus is, is showing us this wedding at Cana, but he's also saying and pointing towards and saying, look, all of the extravagance you see here, all of the over-the-top quantities that are involved, this is just a small glimpse, a tiny little window into the great feast. Not of this life, but the life that is to come, the age that is to come, that we are all invited to. And he would say to each and every one of us this morning, come, come and enjoy, come and feast with me. Not just to enjoy the abundance of one great wedding night. Not just to enjoy the abundance and, and to know my provision through uncertain times that we're trying to navigate at the moment for a season. But come and enjoy my abundance forever. Come and know that your forever future is totally secure with him for eternity. That is the invitation and he offered this abundant life 2,000 years ago, and he offers it to us today. That even though three or so short years later, he was brutally murdered at the hands of the officials of the day on a cross, and his lifeless body was taken down and really was sealed in a tomb. Three days later, he really did rise again. He really did come forth in resurrection glory, never to die again. So that through the ages, to all people, at all times, he can offer out this life, this abundant life. So that today, in the 21st century, in a sports hall in Manchester, where it's a little bit chilly, and we're going to speak to them about the heating, he says to us, come and enjoy this life. This can be yours. And in a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond if you have never done so before. Maybe you have, you've seen Jesus before, you've known about him, you've known the outline. But like Mary, maybe Jesus is just asking you to say, hey, look again. Have fresh eyes for me. To see maybe, just maybe, he is the abundant, generous God that comes into our shortages to show that he will always keep pouring out and pouring out for us.
that he is the God that Jess and Thierry and Velma have spoken of. And to receive and to respond is so simple. We see it right at the end. Just simply, his disciples believed in him. That's it. No money changed hands, no contracts signed, no weird complicated rituals. They just believed. They just said, yes, I want some of this. I want in. And they got it. And that's the invitation today. And so I'd love for the band to come back and we'll sing a song just for a couple of minutes, just an opportunity to think. Two minutes of, is this for me? Is there something, something for me to respond to today? That you've never come to Jesus or you've maybe fallen away from him. And today is a moment for you to say, I'm going to say yes to this abundant life Jesus has for me. We're going to sing this song for a couple of minutes and then I'll be back and I'll make an opportunity to respond. And that will be to come forward here to the front. And what will happen then is if you do come forward immediately, a couple of people from the church will come and stand with you and to be there to pray for you and and be with you in it. But the reason I ask you to come forward is not just because it's easier for us to serve you and to, to pray for you, but I just think there is something about us stepping forward to say, yes, I want some of this. I really want to get involved in and know more about this offer that Jesus is making to me. So we'll sing for a couple of minutes and then I'll be back in to make an opportunity to respond.